Greetings and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry. You know, we are in a world of suffering and suffering is inevitable. We all have suffering of some type in our lives, but how well we deal with suffering is paramount to how we grow spiritually. And so using some real life examples, we are um, blessed to have a special in-person Carmelite conversation with Deacon Rusty Baldwin, who is a member of the Secular Order of Discussed Carmelites in Dayton, Ohio. We're going to talk about the mystery of suffering and what our experiences of suffering um, were, uh, what our reactions were, what fears we had, how we handled it, what others did to help us, and in particular, what spiritual practices were most beneficial, uh, what we learned, what were the benefits of our suffering, what were some of the hidden gifts that we discovered through suffering, and what we can advise to others. And we use several examples of the saints um, from the encyclicals of our popes, um, from books that we've read, so lots of resources that we're going to list. So I thank you for joining us today on this very particular and special um, in-person Carmelite conversation on personal experiences of suffering. Welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry, your host. And the topic today is suffering. Um, we're going to be talking about some personal suffering. In fact, we titled this Personal Experiences of Suffering. And in particular, we're talking about some kind of physical suffering, which always entails some emotional and mental and other kinds of suffering. So we know suffering is inevitable and the challenge is how are we going to respond to the suffering at hand? And ask like Therese, St. Therese of Lisieux asked, but do I suffer well? This conversation will give some real life experiences and um, examples and responses to suffering, as well as how to help one prepare in advance to respond in a way that will help them grow. So I'd like to invite my guest, Rusty Baldwin, to join me. Rusty, how are you? I'm doing very well, Francis. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. And I'll correct myself as Deacon Baldwin, but I'm such a good friend with him. I'm used to calling him by his first name. So Deacon Baldwin, who has done many Carmelite um, conversations with us, typically in the form of a presentation. But today, we are so fortunate that we're doing an in-person interview. So I get to ask you lots of questions today. And mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that you're joining us. And um, he is a discalced Carmelite secular with the community in Dayton, Ohio. And we are so blessed to have him. Um, I'd like to ask you, please, would you start us off with a prayer? I'd be very happy to, Francis. I found a, a prayer that this is based on on a website about suffering, and I thought it just kind of spoke to me so much. I thought it was ideal for uh, opening our conversation here. So Great. let's begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, my Jesus, please be in the hearts and lives of all those who are suffering. Bring comfort and healing to those in pain. Bring joy to those in great sorrow. Bring hope to those who have nothing to live for. Bring food to those who are hungry, shelter to those without a home, and bring companions to those who are lonely. 
May they unite their suffering to yours and may our hands bring your love to all who are suffering. We ask this through your most holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. I'd like to start um, quoting from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1500 and 1501. It's on suffering. Quote, illness and suffering have always been among the gravest problems confronted in human life. In illness, man experiences his powerlessness, his limitations, his finitude. Every illness can make us glimpse death. Illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, sometimes even despair and revolt against God. It can also make a person more mature, helping him discern in his life what is not essential so that he can turn toward that which is. Very often, illness provokes a search for God and return to him, end of quote. So our response to suffering, of course, is critical for our spiritual growth and our union with God. And so it is something we should really think about and it's nice to have a war plan, a battle plan in advance, right? Yeah. Um, so let's let's discuss what we can learn. I, I would like to quote Therese of Lisieux, or the little flower, first about what she said um, about suffering from her deathbed. Quote, oh, mother, it's very easy to write beautiful things about suffering, but writing is nothing, nothing. One must suffer in order to know. I really feel now that what I've said and written is true about everything. It's true that I wanted to suffer much for God's sake, and it's true that I still desire this. All I wrote about my desires for suffering. Oh, it's true just the same, and I am not sorry for delivering myself up to love. Oh, no, I'm not sorry. On the contrary. End of quote. So I want to explore this mystery of suffering. And of course, our presentation today, our discussion, our conversation is by no means an exhaustive treatment on the topic, but rather a sharing of our personal experience. And so you and I have something in common, right, Deacon Bobbin? We sure we do. Both, yeah, we both battled <laughs> cancer. And so you are our most excellent person <laughs> to talk about because of your background in suffering and also as a deacon and also um, as a discalced Carmelite. So thank you so much for coming on the program today to talk. And so I want to set this conversation by first addressing this mystery of suffering. So I'd like you to set the stage for us. Well, great, Francis. And thank you for uh, uh, kind of setting up with the context with those quotes, because they really do kind of ease us into this mystery of suffering. And suffering is probably the single most difficult reality for us as human beings to understand, to reconcile, or even to accept. Because the extreme suffering we witness or that some have experienced seems inscrutable. It's just something that we can't really penetrate. We can't fathom it. There's a book out there called The Problem of Pain written by C.S. Lewis, which I found very helpful. It's a as with most of C.S. Lewis's books, it's a pretty easy read and has been highly recommended by the likes of uh, Dr. Peter Kraft, who is a respected scholar, whose books I also recommend, by the way. And Dr. Kraft describes the problem of pain as the single best explanation of suffering he's ever read. 
which is very high praise from uh, someone of Dr. Crave's stature. But, and when it comes to suffering, there is always a but. Yes. <laughs> Lewis himself readily admits that he's only treating suffering at an intellectual level, at the level of experience where we meet suffering face to face and in our lives or in the lives of those we love. Suffering is that mystery that we cannot possibly understand without faith. And even with faith, he says, we can only understand it partially. And then he goes on to say something that I found just so very helpful, Francis. He said, courage in the face of suffering helps more than knowledge. Indeed. Human sympathy more than courage and the least measure of the love of God more than all that. Yeah, it so reminds that, me of St. Teresa of Avila encouraging us, saying, you've got to have courage, have courage. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and so when we face this mystery, sometimes we're trying to figure it out. And I think what C.S. Lewis is telling us is stop trying to figure it out and have faith and sympathy and some courage to endure what we have to endure and relieve what we can in ourselves as well as in others. And to set kind of the context in that regard, there's also a very incredible, I'll describe it as uh, a scripture verse in Hebrews chapter 2, 10, where Paul says about Jesus. Now, remember, he's talking about our Lord here. For it is fitting that he for whom and through whom all things exist in bringing many children to glory should make the leader to their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, that scripture verse is talking about our Lord and talk about a mystery within a mystery. How can it be that God incarnate was imperfect in any way? Now, it's certain that this only applies to our Lord's human nature, but even then it's difficult to fathom. Until we realize that imperfection does not always imply some kind of fault, does not always imply sin, which is certainly the case with respect to our Lord and uh, the Blessed Virgin. Sometimes, and this is the case in Hebrews, imperfection is used to mean incomplete or unfinished, which means even the respective human natures of our Lord and our Lady that were unstained by original sin were imperfect, if you will, were incomplete and unfinished until they suffered. So if that was true for them, that means that the perfection of human nature the perfection of love of necessity entails suffering. And so our Lord and our Lady, in order to bring their human natures to completeness, to their full potential, in order to love to the degree human nature is capable of, we need to be able to and willing to suffer. To love is to open ourselves up to suffering, to love is to accept the suffering that comes to us. Wow, that's pretty intense and um, sets the stage well for us 
and how important it is for us to embrace the suffering that God deems um, necessary or even just allows for each mm -hmm. of us. So I want to uh, thank you for sharing that. Now I want to get personal with you. <laughs> okay. So let's let's talk about one of your biggest battles of suffering. Do, would you mind sharing uh, what you've been going through, are going through? Sure, sure. About about four years ago, Francis, um, I started to have some real intense pain in my back. Uh, and when I was getting in and out of the car, it was like, wow, this is a real chore. I don't remember this being so difficult before and, and uh, causing such pain before. I thought I'd pulled some muscle or something. And so we had spent uh, a couple months trying to nail it down and going to various uh, doctors. And I uh, finally was sent to a doctor who uh, uh, looked at my blood work and uh, did some other tests because he had a suspicion uh, about what was going on and said, well, I'm, I'm very sorry to tell you that you have stage four lung cancer mm. uh, and it's spread to your spine and it's also caused some, uh, uh, we did, they did additional tests and said, uh, you know, there's also some brain tumors that have been forming. And obviously that was an incredible announcement. <laughs> that You uh, weren't expecting uh, that at all, were you? No, no. I thought he was going to tell me, yeah, you've really pulled a muscle really bad. And, and uh, you know, here, rub some cream on it and uh, come see me in a couple of weeks. So, um, and my, my really, my first thoughts and reaction to that announcement was actually one of peace. It was Amazing. very difficult to explain. It wasn't, oh no, what's going on? Or, you know, Lord, what are you doing? You know, it was more, okay. You know, I, I thought now I know the path that I'm going down. And I felt this really deep, very enveloping kind of peace that uh, I really can't explain because it didn't seem to me to be a normal reaction. Mm -hmm. What a grace. Now, I also suffered cancer. And of course I was told by the doctor, everything looks good, no problem, you're gonna be fine. And then two weeks later I get a call, um, sorry, um, you've got cancer. Um, oh mine was a, a early stage, stage one. But my reaction was so different from yours, I just, tears were just streaming. I mean, I wasn't howling, crying. I, I just had those silent tears dripping down my face. And I would, you know, of course I sat down and my husband came around, what's going on? And then I'm just like, you know, for me, it was a lot of what a lot of people experience, I think. And that was a sense of, is this for real? You know, trying to get my head around what I was just told. I didn't doubt it. I believed the doctor um, and yet I was like, oh, wow. And I'd always ask myself, you know, what is it like when people get this diagnosis, the big C word? And I'm like, well, Lord, I know now I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing this C word. So um, but now I want to ask you, how did you, uh, you said you felt this peace, but how did you maintain that peace? Well, it was 
an acceptance of what was going on, which I think was entirely his grace, because that's not a normal reaction. And, and I have to say, that's probably not the reaction I would normally have, you know, mm -hmm. to a really difficult situation. It would yet, immediately, go ahead. I was gonna say, and yet in your Carmelite formation, we are taught about embracing suffering, right? Sure. I'm sure. sure that came into play in the background there. It really did, not not explicitly, not consciously, but I think all the reading and the praying and the time before our Lord and just meditating on his suffering kind of set me up, if you will, to be able to have that peace that he was so ready to give me. And in maintaining that, you ask about maintaining it, it was then, Francis, that I really started to daily spend time in front of the Blessed Sacrament with our Lord. Now, that had been a very regular practice for me, not only at our Carmelite uh, meetings, but also once a week, uh, I do a novena at the parish I'm serving at, and it uh, has exposition and benediction. But at that point, I started spending daily time for my holy hour in front of our Lord. Uh, and I think that went a very long way in maintaining that peace that I still feel about my situation. So that was one of the first steps you did was to increase your prayer life by more Eucharistic adoration. Mm -hmm. um, were there other things that you did to handle the situation? Um, I know you're in a family, so you know sure. you affect those around you. Um, and and did you think about what, what the purpose of this suffering was? You know, you know, as in your experience, a lot of thoughts come on you right away, and so you're dealing with a whole lot. My family was incredibly supportive, and and one of the things that I. Uh, you know, things that we know from book knowledge and, and intellectually, but then when we're experiencing it, just like St. Uh, Therese was saying, the support and the love and the prayers that I felt not only from my family, but from the entire community was, gave me an experience that I've never had before. Mm -hmm. You know, just the outpouring of you know, we're praying for you. And I still have people tell me, Francis, that I still pray for you every day. And that brings tears to my eyes because it's just incredible the level of love that God showed me through other people and their love for us. So we dealt a lot with, you know, talking about things within the family and, you know, how this might go, some of the more practical things. Uh, but uh, the support of family, the support of the community was a, a, went a huge and very long way in maintaining that peace. I, I have to say, I, I like you, I turned to prayer right away and I let people know right away I needed their prayer and being a member of the Carmelite community, um, I received a lot of prayer from around the world and it was very humbling. And yet I knew that it was sustaining me because I, I wasn't experiencing the anxiety um, or the doubt. I, I felt that God was in this plan and I needed to get educated 
about what my cancer was and what are the possibilities and deal with it on a practical basis. But the spiritual part was the most important. And I think that is the, the best step that anybody can take in any kind of suffering is turn to God first uh, right. and, and ask others to help you in, in prayer. So uh, what was the most helpful thing that others said to you or did for you? Now you did say prayer, of course. Um, but there's sometimes people say things that are very helpful, and I like to remember those, but other times they say things that are hurtful. Mm. Did you yeah, experience you, that too? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a lot of the, uh, you know, helpful things, and people were so generous in bringing things over. I mean, we ran out of uh, space in our uh, in our freezer and fridge because they brought so many meals and stuff, which really helped, you know, especially when I was in active treatment, I had to have radiation on my spine every day uh, for a couple months uh, to kind of take care of the cancer there. Uh, and so those, those types of things and, and people just so much want to help. And you know how it is when, you know, someone else is suffering and you just want to do something for them. Uh, I would say that along with just being present, just uh, uh, people coming over and saying, is it okay for me to come over? And I just like to sit and talk with you a while. Uh, that, that type of thing was just so helpful in those early stages. Um, always knowing that they're praying or sending an email, hey, I'm praying for you. Uh, that really uh, was very sustaining. It was very uh, encouraging and nourishing uh, to my spirit. And to, I have to say to my wife and my kids, because they were praying for them too. Mm-hmm. I think hard the, news for your wife. <laughs> sure, sure. And I think uh, some things that we don't think about right away or how this is ha- uh, uh, affecting the family members because they feel so helpless. You know, hey, someone's suffering, we want to relieve the suffering. Uh, and uh, it's difficult to know what to do in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You, and, you would ask about uh, when uh, uh, I'd ever experienced anything hurtful or people saying something that maybe they didn't think about before they said, I really didn't. I really didn't. I mean, uh, some people, uh, uh, you know, they want to say something and be encouraging. Uh, Sometimes it doesn't come out right that way, but I always took everything that they said as a concern for me. Mm, Beautiful. Well, I'll bring in another situation. Um, My young adult daughter um, had a seizure, went to the emergency room, and was diagnosed with stage three brain cancer. Right. Uh, And this was in March of 2020 when, or April of 2020, when we were just really hitting the top of the fear of this coronavirus, right? And so, um, you know, they didn't want anyone to be in the room with her, but she was having active seizures and um, I was able to be with her uh, because nobody could watch her and she needed mm-hmm. help um, for when she was having the seizures. But she was also pregnant at the time. And I, I tell you that even myself having cancer, it didn't come anywhere close to the kind of um, agony it was to suffer knowing where my daughter was and what was happening. And of right. course, 
um, I reached out for prayer and people, oh, the prayers, uh, so intense and are still going uh, mm -hmm. two years later. And I'm so thankful for that. I do have to say, though, one of the hurtful things was when people say, yeah, I know somebody that had brain cancer and they died. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hear that a lot. I'm like, <laughs> please don't tell me that. <laughs> I want to hear about the living. Give me, you know, we need to plant seeds of hope when people are suffering. And it's true. People, this may be the path that somebody does die from. And yet we need to plant the seed of hope of this union with Christ. So I just want to put it out there um, when you're greeting others and helping them deal with their suffering, try to be seed, a planter of hope, plant seeds of hope. So that, that's important. So let's get into, um, I know Eucharistic adoration was huge for you. What mm -hmm. other kinds of spiritual practices helped you at this time? Well, that's a great question, Francis. And I think some of the things that I'm going to talk about come into play, uh, you know, more or less depending on what we're going through at the time. So sometimes when we're in pain, and you and I have both experienced due to our cancer some intense pain, physical as well as emotional. Sometimes all we can get out is like short aspirations, you know, to where you might say something like, "Lord, have mercy," or "Or Lord, don't let these sufferings go to waste." And I think those are really important cries from the heart, if you will, that, Lord, you know the intense suffering I'm going through right now. And, and that's where we rely on the prayers of others to kind of join those with those short aspirations and send them up to God as, a, as an offering of our suffering to him that he might use that in any way that he sees fit. So very short aspirations in times of suffering you know, sometimes that's all we can get out. So that's one of the things that I used to do uh, when I was going through such pain in my spine and so on. Right. Well, I remember thinking, um, Jesus, thank you for taking care of everything. I, I know that's a spinoff of the novena of surrender that the servant of God, Father Delindo Ruotolo says, where he says, oh, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. I shortened it up even more. <laughs> and then the other thing that helped me, um, I had been studying um, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, one of our wonderful Carmelite saints. And um, I was very familiar with her famous prayer to the Holy Trinity. Mm. And so I found a lot of solace and peace in just praying her first line of the prayer, which goes like this. Oh my God, Trinity whom I adore, Help me to forget myself, forget myself entirely, that I may be established in you as still and as peaceful as if my soul were already in eternity. And I substituted heaven because I want to be clear where my eternity was. But <laughs> right. I prayed that um, many times over and over because the, it was taking the focus off me sure. and putting it on God which was where the peace would be in the present moment with God. And um, that helped me a lot. And then I also had some other, I had some books um, that were very helpful that use scripture throughout. Um, one of them was called Healed Through Cancer and Other Adversities by James N. M. Littleton. 
Mm -hmm. um, he's a father of 19 and what he went through was horrendous. So I'm like, wow, he gives me perspective what I'm going uh -huh. through. You know, it's, it's bad to me, but it, what he went through was so worse. And yet he was sharing in his book, um, his journey and his hope and the scripture passage that he would recite different ones for different parts and periods of his treatment um, were very helpful to me. And so I highly re recommend that book. And then there's also another book that was um, written by um, a third order discalced Carmelite secular. And it's called Living Through Cancer, A Practical mm -hmm. Guide to Cancer-Related Concerns by Carolyn Humphreys. And um, I think that that is also very helpful. Um, the other thing here is, you know, I remember thinking sometimes I, you know, the pain is so great, whether it's the emotional pain, like with my daughter, the emotional pain was, was really intense. Sure. And it, it's like you just groan, right? And I keep thinking about the Holy Spirit groaning within me. And, and Therese, the little flower would say, you know, prayer is a glance to heaven too, just a glance. And so, you know, just looking up at the crucifix, um, but intensely, attentively, purposefully, um, that was very helpful to me. Um, so uh, what other additional advice would you give others um, when they hit these periods of suffering? You know, I think a lot of our Catholic faith is so wonderful in this regard in that there are some things that we do so often that can become uh, uh, just like a reflex response, you know, praying the rosary, you know, is something that can really focus our minds and help us lift up our hearts for others, you know, so we can pray the rosary not only for ourselves, but also offering this suffering up uh, for others who might be suffering, for those who don't have anyone else to pray with them. And just realizing that, hey, we're not alone in this. There are lots of people out there that can benefit from our prayers. And, uh, you know, we kind of used a military uh, uh, battle plan context at the beginning of this. And, you know, prayer and the rosary is a force multiplier in this regard. So those who uh, are of a military bent will understand that terminology, but it, it multiplies the effectiveness and grace, if you will, uh, when we unite our suffering to our prayer. Right, and that reminds me of that, um, the precept, you know, pick up your cross and follow me, you know, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And uh, of course, Christ has suffered before us as an example for us how to, to handle suffering. So thinking about his passion and uniting our suffering with his is, is really wonderful. And, you know, I often think of the Council of St. Padre Pio, pray, hope, and don't worry. Because, you know, <laughs> we society wants us to worry and not sure. trust because we have a society that is not God-oriented, unfortunately. And right. so um, it's important to remind ourselves and these little spiritual uh, tidbits Pray, hope, and don't worry have, have been a, a, a seed that has gone throughout my life that has been helpful. And uh, like you said, we're not alone because Satan wants us to think that when we're suffering, we are alone and that we're forgotten. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. So that leads me to this next question. It's a big question. 
Um, why doesn't God prevent suffering? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> I know it's uh, big. <laughs> that's like uh, that's like asking a question. How do you solve world hunger? You know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Well, Why it goes through people's mind, though, when you're talking about suffering, so I had to bring it up. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of those things that we ponder and we know through scripture. I mean, certainly Job was asking that question, right? right. Uh, uh, you know, perhaps even our Lord in the garden, you know, when he said, may this cup pass from me, you know, he was really uh, uh, just the thought of not only the physical suffering, but the spiritual and the weight of the sins of the whole world was coming upon him. Uh, and that, you know, that was a cry for, can this not happen to me, Lord, you know, but he was obviously willing to accept it. But the question of why does God, why doesn't God prevent suffering is a big one. So, you know, suffering can be a punishment for sin, but that's not really the context in which we're talking about, but it can also be a way to test our faith, to test our righteousness, if you will, and to not only as a witness for others, but also as a witness to ourselves, you know, that no, your faith, my grace is sufficient for you, you know, in this, as we uh, kind of quote St. Paul there. So God can give us suffering to build us up and uh, show us that, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. So right. that's one way that uh, uh, why God doesn't prevent suffering. Well, then and it, it can lead to endurance and endurance to character and perseverance and then perfection, right? And the sure. growth in virtues um, that typically our society focuses on the negative. But, you know, Deacon Baldwin and I are here to witness that uh, there are positives and we need to, I think, consciously look for them and remind ourselves of them because it gives us hope. Right. right. And, um, you know, it, it's also an opportunity to show our our love for others, you know, like the Good Samaritan um, to step out. And we learn a lot about empathy, don't we? <laughs> From sure what we received. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> then we know what to give. Um, all right, so now I'm going to turn to this. What lessons did you learn through your suffering? And, you know, what, like, what is God teaching me in this suffering? Well, I think one of the first things that I learned is I'm still learning. <laughs> you know, that, that it's not over. You know, that, uh, uh, you know, in everything that God sends my way, that's an opportunity for me to respond in love. And I'm still learning that lesson. I think we're, we're, uh, uh, we're kind of, at least I'll speak for myself, I can be very dull-witted at times. God will send me a lesson and I'll think I've got it and you know, he'll uh, uh, send me a test, if you will. Uh, and then I realize I haven't got it. So I know, I know, uh, you know everything that he sends me is an opportunity uh, to love and to learn. Uh, I think he taught me in this particular instance that I need to rely on him. You know, mm -hmm. as, as a man, we tend to think, well, you know, I can do a lot of things on my own. And uh, if I need help, then I'll reach out to God. Uh, God was teaching me in this, no, there's nothing you can do for yourself. Mm -hmm. You need to rely on me for this. You need to rely on me to 
be assured that your family will be taken care of. You need to uh, uh, rely on me to get you through this particular episode of pain. And uh, that was one of the first lessons that I learned. The other is that as time went on, Francis, that peace that I felt so overwhelmingly, and this is one of the things I, I kind of mourn about that early experience is it moderated somewhat. Not that I don't still feel it. It's just that it's it, the feeling has moved deep inside me to where I know that's true, but I don't have the external feeling, if you will. You know, and one of it, I felt, I've never felt closer to the Lord than when I first found out I had cancer because I knew he was wrapping his arms around me and saying, everything's going to be okay. However this turns out, everything is going to be okay. And so I often go back to that experience uh, uh, later on, uh, and uh, uh, I find that a great source of consolation and also a great lesson that that's true for everything in my life. Well, and you said this happened four years ago when this began, this journey about cancer. Sure. And so during that four years, of course, there's more opportunities for the evil one to get in and send you a, a, a dart of doubt or fear. And then you, you, the Lord is wanting you to battle it again, because it's, it's like you and I were talking about this. Uh, we can't find who said this, but it was something about for he who has not suffered, what does he know? You know, sure. Sure. <laughs> so uh, it's just a, it's, it's not like a one and done. It's a constant uh, opportunity to learn. And mm -hmm. I think each suffering prepares us in advance for other sufferings. And um, so this was a, this is a big one and an ongoing one for you. And yet um, I have witnessed your faith bloom and grow and prosper and benefit our Discast Carmelite community in in multitude of ways. And so I'm I'm really grateful. Um, we were scared for you. And yet we we also were pressing in, Lord, thy will be done. You sure. know, we are, we don't live forever. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we need to remember where we're headed. We're headed to heaven. We want to be saints. We're saints in the making. And right. we want to respond favorably to the Lord. And if it's suffering that is going to get us to heaven because of the kind of virtue or struggle that we have, if this is the battle plan to get us to heaven, then so be it. Right. Uh, I will be done, I think, is very important for us. Mm -hmm. So um, there are other benefits of suffering. Um, of course, it, it awakens us to what's important in life, right? You realize that you know, some of your goals, things that you had in mind, now take a back seat, maybe far away from your attention now. And right. you're really starting to think about God, your relationship with God, uh, the state of your soul. And as Catholics, um, you know, we, we want to partake of the sacraments um, of the Eucharist of penance. Um, and so it, it really magnifies um, maybe what our priorities should be and what our attachments have been and how we need to let go of those attachments. It's, it's wonderful to see the um, reordering of priority. 
because um, some things come up that you like weren't really aware of. You, you kind of get into this random boredom and just kind of taking things for granted. And all of a sudden it's, uh, it's a big wake up call. Right. And I, I know with um, St. John Paul II, um, God bless him, he, he wrote an encyclical or an apostolic letter called Salvifici Dolores. Um, I don't know if I pronounced that well, but in it, he's talking about how suffering can be a source of conversion. He sure. said, quote, suffering must serve for conversion. That is for the rebuilding of goodness in the subject who can recognize the divine mercy in this call to repentance. Right. Yes. Haven't we recognized divine mercy? You, you alluded to that. And we, we're coming up to divine mercy because we're recording this on. Uh, um, the end of the third week of, of Lent. So Divine Mercy Sunday is on the horizon uh, with uh, Easter. So uh, conversion, yes, how important that is. What would you um, add to that? Anything? Well, yeah, I mean, another benefit is being able to participate in Christ's sufferings. So often we hear the phrase, just offer it up. You know, uh, moms and grandmothers are, are very... Uh, uh, well known to uh, have that be uh, you know on their lips quite often, but it's true. You know, if we're to be like Christ, Francis, then we have to be like Him in everything. And Christ suffered, and so we don't. We may not understand the mystery of suffering, but that's another kind of a modern fallacy, if you will. We have to understand something in order for it to work. You know, in order for it to be meaningful, we don't have to fully understand it to, for it to be meaningful. Our sufferings add to the treasury of grace that other people can draw upon, and it helps us become more like Christ. And when we say, why me? You know, what have I done in order to deserve this suffering? We should think about why Jesus what did he do to deserve suffering? He was completely innocent. Right. He was without sin. And so he was a fitting vessel for God to use to save us. So to the extent that we understand that about Christ, that can give us a small bit of understanding and comfort that whatever we're suffering can also be united to Christ and be used for the benefit of others in ways that we admittedly don't know how. And so to add to that about how to offer it up and to participate in Christ's sufferings, I pulled up a couple of quotes. Um, St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi said, I do not desire to die soon because in heaven there is no suffering. Ponder that. Yeah. I to live a long time because I yearn to suffer much for the love of my spouse. And that's what love does. It's mm -hmm. willing to suffer for, for the sake of the beloved. And then our dear St. John of the Cross, he says, so much safety and consolation. If you knew how pleasing to God is suffering and how much it helps in acquiring other good things, you would never seek consolation in anything but you would rather look upon it as a great happiness. Yeah. <laughs> and then Pope John Paul II, Saint Pope John Paul II, 
um, writes on participating in Christ's suffering and redemption with this. And this is also from that Salvifici Dolores. For whoever suffers in union with Christ, just as the Apostle Paul bears his tribulations in union with Christ, not only receives from Christ that strength already refer referred to, but also completes by his suffering what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And that's what you were referring to before. Wait, and of course, wait. we know this suffering united to Christ. What does that do? It helps increase um, glory, right? Your, your participation in God's glory. Um, because we have from 2 Corinthians 1.5, um, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. You know, and I wanted to add here just to set the context. We're not talking about being masochists here. Right. You know, hey, send, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to go out and seek suffering. I always like to put it in the perspective when I'm talking with someone about this. Look, suffering enough comes to us. This is what we're called to do as Christians is accept the suffering that God sends, as well as do our best in love to relieve the suffering that we see in others. So we receive the suffering in love and we respond in love to other sufferings. It's kind of a divine economy that we're trying to probe the mystery of here. Right, so we've hit on a lot of points there. So um, I, I wanted to bring out this quote of St. Therese. Um, she's speaking on the value of suffering. It's a rather long quote. It's from um, her letters and also the book, Story of the Soul, which I highly recommend both, uh, and her last conversations. You and I love that book um, mm -hmm. and have studied it and talked about it. Um, but this is a quote that she's talking on the value of suffering, and I, I think it really hits home for me. I, I'll do the first quote. Maybe you could do this, this second quote. Sure. Um, so she says, Oh, Lord, you do not like to make us suffer, but you know it is the only way to prepare us to know you as you know yourself, to prepare us to become like you. You know well that if you sent me but a shadow of earthly happiness, I should cling to it with all the intense ardor of my heart. That's a detachment right there. And so you refuse me even this shadow because you wish that my heart be wholly yours. Life passes quickly that it is obviously better to have a most splendid crown and a little suffering than an ordinary crown and no suffering. When I think that for a sorrow born with joy, I shall be able to love you more for all eternity. I understand clearly that if you gave me the entire universe with all its treasures, it would be nothing in comparison to the slightest suffering. Each new suffering, um, each pang of the heart is a gentle wind to bear you, O oh Jesus, the perfume of the soul that loves you. Then you smile lovingly and immediately make ready a new grief and fill the cup to the brim, thinking the more the soul grows in love, the more it must grow in suffering too. What a favor, my Jesus, and how you must love me to send me suffering. Eternity itself will not be long enough to bless you for it. Why this predilection? It is a secret, which you will reveal to me in our heavenly home on the day when you will wipe away all our tears. 
I'm happy not to be free from suffering here. Suffering united with love is the only thing that seems desirable to me in this veil of tears. You know, I remember somebody telling me, and it really shocked me, because uh, this was before I really had studied a lot. And um, they said, Francis, God must love you so much because of all your sufferings. And I'm like, wow. what? <laughs> <laughs> yep. But St. Therese uh, really answers that um, in a way that I think is so beautiful and is uh, an opportunity for us to try to get a handle uh, on what, what they mean when they say God loves you and you suffer so much. So, um, And I think there are four words that are kind of the key in that quote uh, that kind of unlocks the first part of the mystery anyway, and that is suffering united with love. That's the key, suffering united with love. Uh, right. That gives us you know, a way to approach this in the way that our Lord loves. Right. So now there's another quote um, from the letters in the story of the soul. Would you like sure. to read one and comment? Yeah, yeah. St. Therese uh, writes, it is very consoling for me to remember that you, the God of might, knew our weaknesses, that you shuddered at the sight of the bitter cup which earlier you had so ardently desired to drink. In spite of this trial, which robs me of all sense of enjoyment, I can still say, you have given me, O oh Lord, a delight in your doings. For is there any greater joy than to suffer for your love, O oh my God? The more intense and the more hidden the suffering, the more do you value it. And even if by an impossibility, you should not be aware of my affliction, I should still be happy to bear it in the hope that by my tears, I might prevent or atone for one sin against the faith. And in her story, The Soul, uh, we remember the story of the conversion of Pranzini and all mm -hmm. the offerings that she made and um, on at the, the time of his death, um, he did convert. He showed his conversion by kissing the crucifix. And uh, so, you know, Therese has um, got some real life examples of how she put this into practice and it only got stronger. She's a, a genius of a saint, one of the greatest <laughs> saints of modern time uh, is sure. the way she's described and it is so. She also says, and this is about complaining, and, and people do complain a lot about mm -hmm. suffering. And so maybe we can take to heart what she says here. Far from complaining to our Lord of the cross, which he sends us, I cannot fathom the infinite love which has led him to treat us this way. What a favor from Jesus and how he must love us to send us so great a sorrow. Eternity will not be long enough to bless him for it. Never does our suffering make him happy, but it is necessary for us. And so he sends it to us while, as it were, turning away his face. I assure you that it cost him dearly to fill us with bitterness. Of course, he's always going to send what is going to most draw us to him and uh, increase our um, participation in his divine life. Absolutely. So, you know, you know, we we are sitting here with these quotes and you're like, well, I'm not there, Francis. <laughs> I'm like, I know. <laughs> either when I was reading it the first time or the second time <laughs> and yet um I think that I have come to a greater understanding and I'm thinking you know if we can 
understand and appreciate and value suffering, we are doing really well on our way of carrying this cross. And so um, I'm glad we're talking about it. I know um, Mark Danis, who has done many Carmelite conversations in the past with me, we mm -hmm. had done a, a particular program on suffering with St. Therese. And so we addressed this more in-depthly with her. But it is just an ongoing mystery that I'm, I'm always considering because, you know, one thing, we're always suffering, right? right. And of course, you know, as we pray and we're thinking about uh, Jesus's crucifixion and what that suffering meant, you know, um, to learn to suffer well, that is so important. So you had pointed out uh, that suffering serves three functions and you got this from St. Therese. So I'm anxious to know what you, what you found. Okay. Well, first off, it's proof of our love for God. Uh, and we're not proving anything in, in one sense to God. He knows all things. But I think in a very real sense, we're proving to ourselves how much we love God. And a quote that St. Therese uh, uh, said in this context is, under the pressure of pain, I prove my love by divine test. So it gives us the assurance that, look, if I didn't love God, I wouldn't be willing to suffer this way. You know, so it's a proof of our love for God. It also brings us to union with God. Uh, it helps detach us from things of earth and brings us to union with God. And I experienced that, as I've said a couple times, in a in a very big way uh, when I just felt that enveloping arms of love of God around me when I found out I had cancer. St. Therese wrote in this regard, sufferings greatly help to detach us from this earth. They make us look higher than this world. Tomorrow, in a brief hour, we shall be at rest. And wasn't it St. Teresa of Avila that said, hey, this life is just kind of like a night in a bad inn? You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one night in a bad hotel and then it'll be over. <laughs> And this third point is one that I think we should not pass over lightly. Even though we don't know how, our suffering can ransom souls. Because if we think about Jesus's suffering on the cross, what kind of redemption did that have for us? It saved us all, the entire human race, from the beginning of time to the end, from eternity in hell. And so Jesus showed us that suffering can ransom souls. And so our suffering can contribute to that wellspring of grace that flows from the treasury of the church. She wrote, St. Therese wrote this in this regard. From the day he raised his standard of the cross, all must fight and win in its shadow. Far more by suffering and persecution than by eloquent discourses does Jesus wish to build up his kingdom. Every cross is a mine of gold for us to turn to account. I love yeah, that. You can really embrace that and um, appreciate this treasure, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, when studying St. John of the Cross's life, you know, he was always so good at embracing suffering it just was amazing how good mm -hmm. he was at it and you know so these three functions i just want to repeat them short brief number one suffering is proof of our love for god two you said was suffering brings us to union with god and the third one suffering can ransom souls 
Yes, so we don't and want to forget that. Francis, you know, uh, uh, Carmelites will know this, but uh, St. John of the Cross wrote his most profound work, his poems, under intense suffering. Right in a cell, <laughs> very uh, little. <laughs> so we see that we see the fruit of uniting our suffering to our Lord's. Yeah, and it is interesting to note that he was in in that dark, damp, awful cell for nine months. Mm -hmm. I remember Mark Dane is pointing out, yeah, isn't that interesting? How is it nine months and then he was birthed out in a sense? <laughs> I was like, oh man, that's a good point. The uh, other thing yeah. I wanted to bring up was that. Um, about this treasure of suffering is that I remember um, Mark was telling me about his mother who was suffering mm -hmm. and uh, how he was at her bedside and was telling her, mom, you're on the throne of suffering. Don't waste your prayers. Uh, and and, yeah. and that was the sense. I, I might not have got it exactly right, but that was the sense. Don't waste your suffering. You're on the crown. You're on the throne of suffering. And so I, I've often reflected on that. It really struck me and, and it's helped me. And, you know, when I was thinking about my daughter and all that she went through, she did come through it. She is in remission. The baby was born, was healthy. And wow. yet it was great agony. I mean, she had the surgery, she had chemo, she had radiation. We're doing all of that in terrible circumstances. And yet God provided and so many people stepped up uh, strangers um, stepped up and, you know, so looking back, you're seeing what a treasure this was and how the providential hand of God was there putting people in places like the surgeon himself. I mean, was one of the best surgeons you could possibly have. And we didn't know that we went to, you know, she went to the emergency room and we got whoever was there. Right. right. And, um, right. It, it was just really amazing how God and thank you, God for taking care of us and that, you know, they were healthy. And, uh, you know, we wondered, you know, when the baby's born, you know, she had to be on these high doses of medicine, you know, how's that gonna affect the baby? You know, right. baby's fine. And then of course all the prayers. So yeah, but, you know, looking back, it's good for us to stop and look back at our experiences of suffering and ask yourself, where was the hand of God? Because sometimes in the midst of it, you don't see it. Your, your, your emotions have clouded your ability to think. Mm -hmm. And so it's good to ask yourself, well, where was God? And then, you know, go through it. Sometimes it's painful to go through it. But on the other hand, it can be very affirming because you're like, well, of all the things that could possibly have happened, this good thing happened here. <laughs> you know? Sure, sure. So, well, you know, it really uh, uh, showed me the mercy of God uh, in all that I went through, Francis, because, you know, I'm, I'm still going through it. I still have to have treatment every day, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm basically on a regime of medication uh, that I take every day, but even that was a miracle. The type of cancer that I had uh, is one that uh, uh, the particular genetic form is what I'm trying to say is one that a very small percentage of people have and they had just come out with a treatment that was about 80% effective for those that had the type of cancer I did, and it was effective on me. So I'm, I'm basically about a three or 4% chance of being able to treat this in a very long uh, uh, 
uh, extended fashion, if you will, my doctor said, you know, when you first came in here, I gave you about 18 months to live. And here we are four years later. Yeah, and so God, you. God's mercy is great. I know I'm still here because he's still trying to teach me something. I still have something to do in this world. And, and it's just a real blessing and uh, 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 gratitude that I feel uh, to uh, be doing what I think is his will while I'm in this time. You know, and when we're fighting cancer, we think, well, am I going to die from this? Or, you know, sure. is this just going to be, you know, I, I told myself, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm fighting cancer, but I could die in a car wreck tomorrow, you know? Sure. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, this is an ongoing treatment for you. So it's constantly in your face. Right. Has that colored your approach to other possible sufferings? You know, like what we've been going through society in the last couple of years has been huge, but <laughs> even, even that possibility of a car wreck or other things. You know, it's interesting. Uh, it, it has. Short answer is it has. Um, I don't want this to sound ghoulish, but I think about death every day, mm -hmm. you know, in a good way. You know, uh, uh, you know, the four last things. It's like, well, this may be, you know, my time to go for whatever reason. Just like you said, you could die in a car wreck. There was a professor I used to love to listen to. He said, you know, you might get in, get run over by a beer truck. You know, being, you know, what were you, nobody really needs beer. Some people will uh, uh, will dispute that, but you know, for the most random of reasons, you might die. And are we ready to be with the Lord? Are we doing what the Lord wants us to do? And so I don't want to sound macabre, but I do think of death every day. And, and it's a, my response is gratitude that God has given me this time on earth uh, to do what I need to do for myself, for my family, uh, to be a witness for him. And we thank you for your witness to us. It's, it's helping very much. And, you know, I, I think of, I think it was Therese that said this, um, in order to learn to live well, you need to know how to die well. Sure. And I've pondered that uh, uh, many a time. So, you know, there are, are lots of hidden gifts in suffering. We've mentioned several of them, like, you know, deep appreciation of family and friends, um, the fleeting nature of life, um, grace in the moment, stay in the moment, in the present. Right. Um, you know, the simple pleasures of life, you, you come to appreciate gestures of others, words of others, uh, just things that, that are in the moment, um, the meaning of, of life, um, and, and suffering as a prayer, you know, mm -hmm. uh, offered that as a prayer. So I want to ask you this question then, um, how did your suffering compel you to love God more? That's a great question. I, I, it did. And I think it was kind of what St. Therese said that after the initial shock, and there is always a shock, you know, period of, uh, hey, is this really happening to me? Uh, and then just all the outpouring of love from other people, I really did see it as a gift. And that caused me to love God more because I saw the great gift he had given me. I'm gonna share a, a story about someone else who, who I kind of walked the journey uh, through life with them. 
And what he said at the time, and this was someone who was dying uh, of a liver disease, and about two weeks before he died, uh, I walked into the room and was talking with him, and he looked at me and he said, Rusty, I'm the luckiest guy on earth. Hmm. And he repeated, I'm the luckiest guy on earth. And he knew that he was very close to dying. And I said, what do you mean? I almost said his name. I want to keep that private. But I said, what do you mean? And he said, God has given me the opportunity to get right with him, to show my family how much I love them, and to be ready to meet him. I am the luckiest guy on earth. Oh, and so it increased his love for the Lord in a way that only that could have brought about. Mm. Wow, that's beautiful. And I've always remembered that in uh, that happened years ago. And so I've kind of taken what he told me as my own. I'm mm -hmm. the luckiest guy on earth. Right. For lots of reasons. Not, right. not you know, my family, my wife, uh, my community, and, and all those things, but also for the cancer that he sent me because mm -hmm. it has drawn me closer to him. You know, that made me think about this the other day as we were preparing for this conversation was which of our discalced Carmelite saints died um, unexpectedly? I'm like, well, you know, I couldn't think of any. They all. They either died um, at Auschwitz or, but they, they knew what was coming or mm -hmm. they were sick in bed. And I'm like, wow, I'm gonna have to do some more research and see <laughs> which saints died unexpectedly. It's almost like I'm giving you a special grace that you will know it's coming so you can prepare sure. and, and make things right. You know, and I'm, I was like, what a gift it is to know that it's coming. And of course, we all know it's coming. We just don't know exactly when. But when you have a diagnosis and, you know, they say, okay, you've only got two weeks left, you know, thank you for telling me because I, I got stuff to, to prepare. Right. Um, and, but th that's something we should always think about and always being preparing and hopefully um, being anxious and, and it, well, in a happy way of joining the Lord, you know, just sure. thinking about being heaven. And my my mother, she's 88, coming up soon, 88. And um, she's been asking me about heaven um, mm -hmm. and what it's like. And I'm glad to be able to provide her with some seeds of hope on that. I know John and the Cross says, um, love does not consist in feeling great things but in having great detachment and in suffering for the beloved. And that's what Jesus did for us. And yes. then he lets us also participate in that. And St. Elizabeth of the Trinity said, and I love this, she said, quote, believe that he loves you. He wants to help you himself in the struggles which you must undergo. Believe in his love, his exceeding love. I really like that. <laughs> and I think those two quotes, teach us a great lesson, uh, Francis, in detaching from the things of earth and turning our eyes toward God who loves us more than we can possibly imagine and who wants that same love from us. Mm -hmm. So detaching from the things of earth, I think is one of the things that, a benefit that I've experienced uh, uh, in this journey 
uh, and one that we're called to in our to as we become more and more spiritually mature. Not that I've achieved it, but I'm aware of it and saying, well, maybe this is how I'm detaching from those aspirations I had to do great things at uh, my work or uh, think well about myself. I shouldn't care about how I think, how other people think about me. I need to detach from that. I need to detach from possessions. I need to detach from anything that's my will and only look to see what's God's will for me. Oh, great advice there. So I wanted to ask, were you ever... And are you ever uh, tempted by the devil in this suffering? You know, you're really, e it's really easy to fall into uh, a pity party, you know, that- uh, uh, Which is a big temptation. <laughs> a big temptation. So uh, on occasion, on occasion, uh, uh, not so much with the sickness itself, but in other areas of my life, you know, so, but I use that as a springboard, if you will. Hey, I've got cancer. Why should I have to suffer this too? You know, <laughs> can I get a break here on this? You know, whatever it might be. So, so yeah, I think there's always that temptation to say, "Hey, God, haven't I suffered enough?" And then you read the Book of Job and go, "Yeah, you know what? Your sufferings are as nothing compared to what other people have suffered and how they've uh, accepted the grace that I'm offering you as well." and done wonderful things for the Lord with that. So short answer is yes, but. Uh, yes, you know, having that detachment is so important. And I, I remember feeling that I needed to detach, but it only would happen once I surrendered. Um, sure. You know, here I was wanting to go in there and be with my daughter to help her through these um, seizures until she could have her surgery. And they're telling me, no, you can't go, it, you know, not with what's going on here. You can't go up there. We can't let anybody up there. And I threw a big hissy fit. I'm sure that uh, in heaven, I'll look back and say, oh, boy, I threw a big temper tantrum there, probably the biggest of my life. And it wasn't working. And after probably 20 minutes of a big scene, <laughs> oh no, this is the biggest scene of my life, right? Right. Um, I finally surrendered. I'm like, oh, you know, and I go out to the car and Doug start, my husband is starting to drive us away. And I get a text from my daughter. You can come up now. They changed their mind, you know. And I'm like, oh, wow. oh thank you, God. <laughs> I mean, but I had to surrender. I sure. mean, I really vividly remember surrendering. Um, so I, I was, you know, I had that mama bear attachment going on that I'm going to mm -hmm. force this, you know, they're going to let me go up. And it's only after I surrendered that um, I was able to go be with her, which was a very big consolation to all of us. So, so um, let me go to this question on, did you or do you have a hard time praying when you're suffering? Especially, um, let's address the physical suffering when, when sure. you're feeling it in your body. Right. Um, so yes and no. Yes, I have a hard time praying in words. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or maybe gathering thoughts in my mind. But I think we can pray in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, we talked earlier about, uh, I think it was uh, St. Teresa uh, of the Holy Trinity groaning, you know, uh, and uh, even that is an expression to God that the Holy Spirit takes, we're assured in the Bible, 
and translates our groanings into prayers before God. So yes and no. Uh, we, uh, 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 and I think the prayers of others become our prayer in those times. So we pray for others because when they have a hard time, if they're having a hard time praying, our prayers become their prayers that we're offering up to God. And like you said, sometimes it's a wordless prayer. It's just kind of, sometimes for me, it's just a mental, not, not even an image, but just a, an attentive thought to lift that situation up to the Lord or to, you know, beg the precious blood of Jesus to be poured out upon that person in that situation. Um, I keep coming back to St. Therese, that glance to heaven. And she's sure. like, and, and when I say draw me, there's a there's a <laughs> section where she's talking about how she's putting, you know, you know how we have a lot of people on our list that we're praying for, right? Mm -hmm. or, or is it not on a list outwardly? They're on the list of your heart, right? right. And you can't possibly name them all. Or you're going to spend, you know, a long time reciting every name. And yet you promise to pray for them and you don't want to feel guilty that you didn't pray for them. So you this is Teresa's answer to that. She's like, draw me. And every time I say, draw me, I want you to draw everybody that's in my heart. I'm like, oh, you gave me a great solution to how to pray <laughs> for all these people without having to name them specifically. And of course, when those people come to my mind, um, you know, I offer them then in that moment, um, because right. I feel like that's the Holy Spirit uh, tugging at me to, to pray. And it's amazing how that has helped. Um, I wanted to bring up this quote of Teresa of Avila on this uh, about suffering and praying. Uh, she says, quote, one must not think that a person who is suffering is not praying. He is offering up his sufferings to God. And many a time he is praying much more truly than one who goes away by himself and meditates his head off. <laughs> and if he has squeezed out a few tears, thinks that that is prayer. Oh, don't you just love Mother Teresa? <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's no, a... I, I, I love those uh, words that uh, St. Therese said, uh, you know, just a glance up to heaven, the groaning, uh, because sometimes that's all that's in us that we can express externally. But as St. Teresa of Avila said in this quote, there's a lot that's going on internally uh, that St. John of the Cross was talking about in his dark night, that we don't know that it's going on within us, but our Lord is transforming us in a way that we don't consciously uh, uh, have awareness of. Mm -hmm. And so I know we can also, you know, Lord, I don't have the words, but, you know, I just give you this, you know, and, and you don't know how to describe it. In fact, last month at our Carmelite meeting, one of our members told me, I just can't pray anymore. Mm. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> your, your ears go up, what? <laughs> she was talking about she couldn't pray in the mental fashion that she was used to praying. So we sure. got to talking about the groaning and the glancing. And um, I think that was helpful. So um, let's, let's go on. So we know that um, when we how we respond to suffering is important and how would that what can we do to make that a favorable response and so of course we've said offering up our sufferings to god we talked about the short aspirations the prayer examine your hearts you know mm -hmm. uh, test yourselves um 
giving thanks. You've mentioned that many times, giving thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's from 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Colossians uh, 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So, um, be, and I remember reading in a, in a, a fictional novel, um, the characters were saying, well, this is going to be really good because we're getting so many attacks. I'm like, what? That was my first introduction. This is before I joined Carmel. And I'm like, I couldn't, I'm like, what? You know, my, I'm like, how could this be? And they're like, well, you know, because some real big graces are unfolding here. And sure. so we need to persevere and keep our eyes on Christ and it also work out. And then like you mentioned so many times that peace, um, mm. other words, equanimity, or even better, serenity. And St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, another one of these great Carmelite saints, says, quote, always receive with equal contentment from God's hand, either consolations or sufferings, peace or distress, health or illness. Ask nothing, refuse nothing, but always be ready to do and to suffer anything that comes from his providence. End of quote. You know, I remember a time I was like, okay, I got through these big periods. And I remember saying, well, today I don't have anything to suffer. And I uh, kind of laughed. <laughs> and then that afternoon I got something. Uh, <laughs> like, but you know, we don't ask for sufferings right. because that is a, a sign of our arrogance and our pride that we could handle uh, it. I'm like, and I remember saying, oh Lord, I can handle that. And I, you know, I, he quickly showed me I could not, you know, right. so I learned I learned quickly that, oh, no, I, I, I just always depend on the Lord, whatever he sends, whether it's good, bad, ugly, beautiful, whatever, uh, right. you know, it is fodder to um, help me to mature and to grow. Right. So, right. so how did your family in particular um, help you deal with suffering? And did they grow closer to Jesus through your suffering? I, I, if you could comment sure. on that. Sure, sure. Well, as I said uh, a couple of times, uh, my family was a huge support. You know, it would be difficult to have gone through any aspect of this without them there. My brothers came from out of town to help, uh, you know, when I was really in the midst of uh, being debilitated by it. Uh, uh, but I still remember gathering the family uh, into our uh, den and letting them know, you know, what we had found out. And of course, my wife had already, uh, you know, uh, was with me the whole time. And I remember looking at their faces when I told them that I had cancer uh, and that it was a very serious kind. And, but also following that up with, look, God has got this. And whatever path there is for us or whatever path we're going to be taking, we're going to be taking it as a family and he's going to take care of us. Okay. If that means that uh, the cancer, you know, I die very quickly, well then, you know, that's God's will, but he'll take care of you and we can grow closer to Jesus as a result of this and, you know, allow them to talk and express, you know, whatever they were feeling at the time. It was a really time, a time of going closer to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I remember it gave me the impetus when I felt better, uh, because it was several months before I, you know, really had a lot of energy to do anything. Right. I've kind of put down what 
I felt was my best gift to my family in case the Lord did take me before, you know, very quickly. Uh, and that is write down a lot of the homilies that I've given as a deacon just to kind of collect for my children. I did it for my children to say, this is what mattered most in my life. This and I might what... add here, I'm going to interrupt you, I might add here that, that you've actually, these are published. You can buy them on sure. Amazon.com, I believe. Right, uh, right. So uh, people can look for, uh, uh, is it under your, is that under Deacon Russell Baldwin? Is it under oh, Rusty Baldwin? Uh, it's called From the Heart. From the is Heart. Title them all and uh, just Rusty Baldwin. So okay, so yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. I've got a couple of them, and I I'm glad to have them, and I do treat them as a treasure. Uh, your experiences um, as a Carmelite and as a uh, deacon, and just through your life, have have been really uh, a beautiful witness for all of us. And and so, well, you know, back to this question about the family, I remember when I got my first, um, you know, diagnosis, you, you've got cancer, and I told my children, uh, my son, I think, was in the eighth grade, and he was getting ready for confirmation, and, and he was an avid swimmer, very high competitive swimming, and I remember that was the period of time where he started making the sign of the cross mm. on the starting block before his race, wow. because <laughs> It just seemed like, you know, I got to pray for my mom. And the whole swim team, of course, was praying for me too, which wow. was wonderful. Um, but to me, that was so beautiful. And his, uh, his confirmation um, sponsor took pictures of him doing that. And then for confirmation, gave him this framed uh, piece with three uh, pictures of him in the midst of making a prayer. I'm just like, oh, that is just, <laughs> that is just beautiful. So, you know, um, you know, our, our, our young kids, uh, you know, there creates a lot of uncertainty. And, sure. and yet if we can help them trust God um, through this circumstance, what a great, beautiful life lesson. And I know mm -hmm. my husband's always saying to me, I mean, even still just yesterday, <laughs> Francis, God has a plan and his plan is perfect. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so what about the people who feel abandoned by God in their suffering? You know, St. John of the Cross uh, uh, really speaks to that, not directly with regard to suffering, but, uh, you know, in his dark night of the soul that we need to realize that when we feel that God is the furthest away, that's really when he's the closest because he's touching us in a way that's more intimate than our feelings. Uh, and that can be a sign that he's actually right there with us, that we don't feel it, but he's even closer. I always think about uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, uh, who for so many decades uh, had no exterior consolation, if you will, feeling of God, but yet she saw that for what it was that, no, that means he's actually even closer to me and kind of drawing me in the way our Lord felt in the garden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go on to addressing the fear of death. I mean, I, I know that Teresa Vavla wrote a poem about, I die because I do not die. 
Some people look forward to death because they are thinking about this union with God and being in heaven. And I know St. Teresa of the Andes, she rejoiced at each birthday because it brought her closer to death. And she wrote in her diary, she says, today is July 13th and I'm 16 years old, one year less of this life, one year closer to death and one year closer to eternal union with God. Wow, talk wow. about a mature perspective. <laughs> Absolutely. There's no wow. fear of death there. And I know Therese was talking about, why should I fear death? I'm falling into the hands of God who loves me, right? Right. In right. fact, Therese even talked about this as her terminal illness, tuberculosis, was like a having a lottery ticket. Can you believe this? I'm like, Therese uh -huh. talked about a lottery ticket? She did. I'm going to tell you the quote here. Uh, this, this was uh, talking about a lottery ticket and the, the awaited prize being death. Um, so when she found out she had tuberculosis, but you know, there was a chance that she recovered. Um, in fact, she had many close calls, right? She mm -hmm. commented, I'm like a person who having a lottery ticket runs the chance of winning more so than one who hasn't a ticket, but still the person is not sure of obtaining a prize. So I have a ticket, my illness, and I can keep up my hopes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Oh, and then, uh, yeah. one day mother agnes and jesus was talking to us and she said i i fear you were going to have to suffer very much to die and Therese said well why fear in advance wait at least for it to happen before having any distress don't wow. you see that i would begin to torment myself by thinking that if persecutions and massacres come as they are predicted someone will perhaps snatch out your eyes <laughs> So she, you know, there she's like practice living in the present moment. Right. And St. Um, Teresa the Andes reminds us that, you know, death is not frightening for a karma. Like, I think you're really growing in holiness when you can say you're not afraid to die. And she, um, she said that this is death will be her time to begin her true life, her life in Christ in heaven and that she would fall into the arms of the one she loved here on earth above all things and so she's she's thinking about being eternally emerged in god's love well that's something to give you courage right sure oh and absolutely very consoling thought um and i always think of uh you know a book to recommend to people in this regard is just to see the the courage and the grace that uh, saint therese had was her last conversations oh uh, yes that book is it's incredible sometimes we we get our view of saint therese in her story of a soul mm -hmm. and we don't see the the incredible bravery that she had well read last conversations and you'll see that very very clearly i concur with you all right so what keeps you going forward God keeps me going forward, Francis. <laughs> <That's not laughs> <It's great>. right? <laughs> From one moment to the next. <laughs> That's right. You know, I used to think it was very trite for people when they said, uh, you know, take one day at a time and God gives you the grace you need for the day. Right. Uh, I completely concur. It's not a trite saying, it's a true saying. And so, <laughs> you know, the grace that uh, God gives me, sometimes I'm uh, wise enough to ask for it. Other times I'm foolish enough not to, uh, but he gives it nonetheless is what uh, keeps me going forward. It, uh, 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 and, and then also, you know, the, the, joy and grace that he's given me of my family and my children 
you know, those are reasons to, you know, suffer that are more immediate and visible, but uh, just being able to spend time with them, uh, being able to hopefully have them see how much the Lord means to me and have that be a part of their lives in an ever increasing way. Uh, all these things are, are just things that keep us moving forward. Well, I was like you, I, I thought those things were pretty trite too, but then you start to realize what they mean. <laughs> yep. You're living it. So are, are you glad you suffered? I am glad, Francis. I can say that quickly and unequivocally. And uh, I'm always reminded of uh, when we do Stations of the Cross, how we say, Lord, you know, whatever death you have in store for me, however that's going to come about, I thank you for it ahead of time. That, and, and I think as, especially as modern Americans, we think that uh, uh, when we say that God only wants our happiness, that means he only wants us to be without suffering, without any pain. And happiness is way beyond that. Joy is way beyond that. Joy and happiness is being in his will. And if the suffering that I unite to Christ is what's necessary for others, for their soul, for my kids to see how uh, to suffer well, well, then I'm willing to go through that. That doesn't mean it'll be enjoyable. That doesn't mean I won't need other people's prayers while I'm going through it because we're so weak. But it's something that uh, uh, by his grace, I'm willing to do. And so, yes, I'm very glad that I've suffered and I'm glad for the suffering that he sends me. Because as you said before, he only does things for our good. And so that's necessary for me to be complete and perfect in the way that he wants me to be. Mm -hmm. It might be that the more we suffer, the, the greater the possibility of this glory in heaven, right? Absolutely. Um, I have a friend, a dear friend up in Massachusetts in the Boston area, and she's always telling me this. The suffering and the joy are the same. <laughs> I'm just like, ah, let me get my head around that. I'm like, my dear friend, if I ever understand suffering, I'll know that I'm on my way to holiness. <laughs> because I think that's one of the biggest mysteries. And, you know, I'm, <clears throat> I'm really glad that we've taken some time today to um, share our insights, our experiences, and you, you've offered so much. I mean, um, having a witness of what it's like to go through the suffering and, you know, it's an ongoing suffering. Um, it, it really gives us some hope and gives us some strategies on what to do. And I, I know that Teresa Vavala said about suffering, she said, we always find that those who walked closest to Christ our Lord were those who had to bear the greatest trials. And I think of you when I read that quote, I think of you. Uh -huh. And then I picked, I found a quote on your patron, um, ah. <laughs> Raphael Kalinowski. I was like, I better find something from him because this is the name you chose in Carmel. Right. He said, when someone comes to me and complains about suffering and crosses, I say to him, it is God's will. And this is the best advice I can give to everyone. Recognize the will of God. And wow. that was from a letter to a young friar in 1907. And you have done that today for us over and over so I thank you for that. And I, and I have one more. Um, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross said, to suffer and be happy 
although suffering. Now this is Edith Stein, okay? So she knows Perfect. she knows what's coming down, right? Mm -hmm. To suffer and to be happy, although suffering, to have one's feet on the earth, to walk on the dirty and rough paths of this earth, and yet to be enthroned with Christ at the Father's right hand, to laugh and cry with the children of this world, and ceaselessly sing the praises of God with the choirs of angels. This is the life of the Christian until the morning of eternity breaks forth. And mm -hmm. that's from Love of the Cross, Some Thoughts for the Feast of St. John of the Cross by Edith Stein, which we know as St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. Wow. Well, you know, we've had quite a conversation today, and I'm so grateful and thankful to you for your willingness to share with this audience uh, about, in a very candid way about your suffering and the trials and the fears and the blessings and the graces. And we so appreciate your insight and your guidance. And I'm looking forward to more uh, conversations with you. Oh, it's and, been a delight to be here, Francis. And I thank you for inviting me. And I've just... Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it and just thank you for the opportunity to uh to share my story well in summary i'd like to quote from an encyclical of pope leo the 13th it's it's on capital and labor but it's really really good for our summing where we've been discussing today it's from rerum novarum i think that's how you say it it says um jesus christ when he redeemed us with plentiful redemption took not away the pains and sorrows, which in such large proportion are woven together in the web of our mortal life. He transformed them into motives of virtue and occasions of merit, and no man can hope for eternal reward unless he follow in the blood-stained footprints of his Savior. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. Christ's labors and sufferings, accepted of his own free will, have marvelously sweetened all suffering and all labor. And not only by example, but by his grace and by the hope held forth of everlasting recompense, has he made pain and grief more easy to endure. For that which is at present momentary and light of our tribulations worketh for us above measure exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. And then there was the bookmark of St. Teresa of Avila. Would you mind? Um, doing this and then maybe uh closing us out with a, a prayer as well i think this is great advice that teresa vavla gives us i sure will francis let nothing disturb you let nothing frighten you all things are passing away god never changes patience obtains all things whoever has god lacks nothing god alone suffices that is great um, spiritual advice for any instance of suffering and, and just particularly life in general. So thank you for bringing that to the table for us. So now I ask uh, if you would bless us and give us uh, a closing prayer. Absolutely. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Behold me, my beloved Jesus, weighed down under the burdens of my trials and sufferings. I cast myself at your feet, that you may renew my strength and my courage while I rest here in your presence. Permit me to lay down my cross in your sacred heart, for only your infinite goodness can sustain me. Only your love can help me bear my cross. Only your powerful hand can lighten its weight. 
O divine King Jesus, whose heart is so compassionate to the afflicted, I wish to live in you, suffer and die in you. During my life, be to me my model and my support. At the hour of my death, be my hope and my refuge. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And could you give us a blessing too? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shed its light upon you. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing and for joining us today. And um, so I want to thank our listeners also for tuning in on this Carmelite conversation. I invite you to please keep Deacon Baldwin in your prayers as he continues uh, fighting this battle uh, against um, the cancer. And, you know, it, if we remember to pray, 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 let's just hold each other up in prayer, asking for God's grace, not only for ourselves and our loved ones, but for the whole wide world, which is in such great need. So and let's, uh, let's keep Francis and her daughter and all those who are suffering from illnesses in prayer as well. Thank you very much. All right. Well, um, until we meet again in the next conversation, take care and God bless you.